Warning, this podcast contains strong language, graphic nudity, and depictions of extreme stupidity and is meant only for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Or not, you do you. Hello, welcome to the worst podcast on Mars, also known as Arizona Drought. I'm Amanda. I'm sure I've already made you mad with my taps before the episode even started recording. Nobody knows what that means. I know what it means. And I know what it means. But nobody else listening knows what it means and or cares. This is the podcast where we talk music, we take an album, and we give you the history behind it and why it was culturally significant. And this week we're doing Stevie Ray Vaughan's Texas Flood. But before we get into that, how you doing? I will address it. Okay. Calm down, sir. Before you jump in and start correcting me, answer my question, how you? Me good, how you? I'm good. (laughs) things have been really crazy for us we're trying to the spring months are just insane and so we're trying to work ahead this is the first episode of june first friday of june and we're in not even the 10th day of may so (laughs) as this is being recorded so we just we're trying to get ahead and um I think I'm losing my mind a little bit. Did you ever have a mind? No, not since May 26th of 2012. No. You had it before then too? Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. So, um, do you have any corrections from last week? Last week was... Something. I oh, Marvin Gaye's never too... No, <laughs> I'm mixing. Marvin Gaye's never too much. Marvin Gaye's what's going on. I don't think I've gotten to really go back through and listen to it yet. So I'm sure I said something wrong. I'm sure you said something wrong, but I don't know what yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you, when we were talking about that, I brought up that EP that had the nine different versions of it. Did you go back and listen to any of that? No, I found it, but I haven't gotten a chance to. I, I remember that coming out. Like, I remember why that happened. I don't know all the versions, but I remember, like, it being, like, a star-studded thing and people were... You, you know using this song to promote a message and i it, it's not shocking that that song is as powerful as it is and, and it, why it's still so huge you know it, as a protest song so didn't know if you listened to that so um should i just get into it yeah i'm trying to figure out what the cat is playing with what what is she playing with i don't know but let's just ignore let's try to ignore the chaos demon and go on all right well you need to pay attention to her then and okay so this week we're doing stevie ray vaughn's texas flood it was released june 13th 1983 and is number 166 on this rock and roll hall of fame list so just about 40 years ago yes uh, Which is very interesting because marvin Gaye's was around the same time that the episode was coming out and that was completely unintentional absolutely unintentional it's a conspiracy yep so all right i'm gonna get into it and i hope you're paying attention i am not texas flood is the debut album and was actually released by stevie ray vaughn and double trouble but most often is just credited to stevie ray vaughn recorded in just three days the album was named after the blues singer larry davis's original texas flood 
Although Vaughn already had a decade of performing experience, it wasn't until Jackson Brown heard the group perform in 1982 and offered his own private studio that the group finally got a chance to record a demo. Why do I know that name, Jackson Brown? Why don't you Google it? He's a musician himself. Is that running on empty? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that demo ended up being Texas Flood, and it became an instant hit that made Vaughn an instant guitar god. During their time in the studio, they had no clue what they were doing. So just because, you know, Jackson Brown said, hey, you guys can use my studio, it didn't mean that any, they got anything people that came or anyone... With it. Yeah, it was just literally them. Their first day was spent just setting up equip- equipment. That left them just two days to record everything, so they decided to just run through their, their set about three times and just use the best take. They just played the same way they played every night, and that's what they recorded. They literally just unpacked what they had and begged, borrowed, or stole whatever else they needed just to simply play. They didn't even bring tape to record and actually recorded over Jackson Brown songs to record Texas Flood. I'm sure that went over well. <laughs> Their work ended up getting them signed by Epic Records in March with the album set for release in June. Okay. So when when did he hear them? Eighty two, you said? Okay. Which we'll talk a little bit more about when that was. But you're talking from inception of a demo to release not very long. Yeah. Yeah. What was perhaps more interesting was the timing of it all. The band were heavy on the blues, and this album came out at a time when blues wasn't really a thing anymore. To the younger audience, it was completely new music. Pop and dance music dominated the airwaves, and here comes blues making a comeback. Vaughn was up against big names at the time, like Michael Jackson, Dexie's Midnight Runners, and The Police, but they stood out in such a way, in such a positive way. It was an instant success. What is Dexie's Midnight Runners? Does that come on, Eileen? Yeah. So, you know, early 80s. And you think of all the pop music, and here's this blues guy. Now, blues isn't really a thing anymore, but when it came out, it it reached a new audience. And that, that, and even not on, necessarily not on the charts yet, but you also have the start of stuff, like the thrash, and you also have the new wave of British heavy metal, so you have Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and... Ozzy's not part of that, but you have Ozzy coming in. So you have these, some that have already been established and have like a big thing right away. Yeah. So blues, yeah, blues isn't at the time a thing anymore. Because when would that have been? Because that, I would have guessed mid to early 70s. Because you would have still, because I think Clapton would have still been classified as blues. Yeah. Some of it. Uh, when was B.B. King big? 60s? I think so. Because that's another one that I would think of would have been a little bit earlier, but I don't mm-hmm. know exact time frame. But blues was kind of gone. So, I mean, it's never... No style of music is ever really dead and gone. It's just not as popular like you know you say disco's dead but we, there's still clubs that'll play disco music and i know we had talked about 
that when we which jazz album were we talking about that I asked you if you ever thought if you ever thought jazz mm-hmm. was going to be in like that big cyclical heyday kind of like mm-hmm. like this is a perfect example blues has its big heyday goes away for a while and then comes back mm-hmm. not necessarily full force but right so now we're just getting into fun facts i know that wasn't a lot of information i'm going to touch on that here in a minute okay so fun fact that show in 1982 that jackson brown attended was actually the montreux jazz festival and vaughn and company were actually the first unsigned band ever to play there okay fun fact do you remember playing that little six degrees of separation game in our guns and roses episode okay is that a yes? I don't. I don't remember <laughs> what it what, was, but you what, remember playing yeah. the game. Okay, we're gonna do it again. Okay. When we talked "Let's Dance" by David Bowie, I mentioned that Vaughn did some guitar work on the album. Okay. Who was the one that connected the two? So Bowie to Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. Is it a name that has been discussed recently? Mm-hmm. Was it Jackson Brown then? No. Recently, as in this episode, no, because he's the only other name I mentioned. What, what genre? Rock. Would it be either Freddie Mercury or Mick Jagger? You are very close with the latter. Keith Richards. Yes, and I don't know how. That's just what I found. Um, but Keith Richards was the one that told Bowie about Vaughn. Although, disclaimer: in another article I read, it said that Bowie was also at the Montreux Festival. So I don't really know. But one article I, I found said that, that it, and it was in an interview with some of the members of Double Trouble. And they the guy said that Keith Richards was the one that got him in contact. But I thought that was interesting. Fun fact. Is it? No, it never is. It's up for debate whether or not Vaughn quit Bowie or if Bowie fired Vaughn. Bowie was set to tour for Less Dance just as Texas Flood was going to be released. If Vaughn was on tour with Bowie, he would not be allowed to promote his own album. Additionally, Double Trouble was in talks to headline a few of Bowie's shows. Again, they would not be allowed to talk about Text to Flood during the tour for Less Dance because Less Dance was the point. The story goes that Vaughn had his luggage on the vehicle ready to leave and his manager showed up and took it off. Vaughn went in one direction and the vehicle went in another and he didn't tour. But it's, well, it's a debate on whether or not Vaughn quit or if Bowie fired him. So here's here's an actual question. So why couldn't he perform with both bands on the same bill? Because I'm sure that's been done with artists before. But typically, from what I understand, typically the headlining is promoting mostly like promoting a new album right then you have the openers who don't have a new album out that are they do have something out but they're not they don't have a new album out right now so let's dance we just did that one in april uh, april of 83 yeah this is june of 83 right Bowie's not going to go on tour in April April of 83 but his album just came out so they need vaughn around to do the press and everything when in june when bowie would be on tour he couldn't do two things at once because if he was talking about his album if he was talking about texas flood while he's on tour with bowie that takes away from bowie 
So why don't you just have a standard disclaimer to the press? This is, these are your topics that are off-limit for discussion. Yes, but then Vaughn is not getting a chance to promote his No, name. because then you have Vaughn doing his press with Bowie, and then you have Vaughn doing press on his own. I don't know. Go be a reporter and do it. I don't know. That's just what I read. My last fun fact. One article I read actually listed other albums released in June of 1983. So it was interesting to see what Texas Flood was up against. Okay. And I don't have all of them, but I have ones by artists that I thought you would recognize. Okay. Let's let's turn this into a game. You want the album or do you want the band? Yeah, either one. You su- surprise me. You tell me. You just change it up. You say, okay, okay. here's the artist. Motorhead. Well, Ace of Spades has already been out. I'm actually listening to their catalog now. Um, how many words is it? Three. What's it start with? A. It's not Aftershock. Because that's later. And I. This is taking too long. Okay, go. Another Perfect Day. I don't remember that. How, how about uh, this one? I give you the title. Allies. No. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah, that's not in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to tell you what they are because this is going to take way too long and people are going to shut it off. America, Your Move. Okay. Peter Gabriel. So? Plays Live. You might get this one. Frank Zappa. Shit. Uh, Studio Tan? London Symphony Orchestra, Volume 1. Okay. Rod Stewart, Body Wishes. The Kinks, State of Confusion. They were still a thing. Stevie Nicks, The Wild Heart. Ringo Starr, Old Wave. The Police, Synchronicity. Yep. I'm going to give you this one. You might get the band. Works. Pink Floyd? Mm-hmm. That's a... Eh, I, don't, I don't agree with that one because that's a compilation album, I believe. You Can't Stop Rock and Roll. That's not Kiss, is it? Twisted Sister. You're close. Doobie Brothers, Farewell Tour. Lover Boy, Keep It Up. Electric Light Orchestra, Street Snope, Secret Messages, and Nazareth, Sound Elixir. So it's interesting to see those those are a lot of other albums that came out in the same month all completely different style from Texas Flood. No, well, Crosby Stills and could be similar. Is is probably the closest one. Maybe America. Cuz blues and country kind of go together. Amer- well, America's like a softer rock, I believe. Yeah, but again, I, th- I thought that was interesting. Normally we don't get that in one concise thing. Article. So, yeah. So I'm going to move into the culture because you've already told me you don't have anything until we get to this bit. So I'm just going to go. Okay. And you're going to stir a pot, apparently, but nobody can see it because... It's an audio medium. Um, As I said, Texas Flood was an instant success. However, not all critics warmed up to it immediately. Kurt Loder, you know that name? Nope. He, I believe he was on MTV at the time. I know he did back... (laughs) Way back in days of yore, MTV had their own little news segment. And played music videos. Yes. But they had the the, the, like the MTV news where they would come on, and I don't know if it was like once an hour, and they would do like your your stories. Kurt Loder was one of those like newscasters. Okay. Um, he told Rolling Stone that Vaughn's voice was, quote, genuinely generic, mm-hmm. and that he couldn't write lyrics. I, I, I can agree with the, the voice part of it. And I have, I'll get into more a little bit on that in my review. 
He did go on to add that Texas Flood is well worth hearing, even if you've heard it all before. After all, it's been a long time, right? Since you've heard blues? Pretty much, yeah. Texas Flood peaked at number 30 on the Billboard 200 with Pride and Joy hitting number 20 on the mainstream rock chart. It has sold over 2 million copies. The singles released were Pride and Joy and Love Struck Baby. Okay. Love Struck Baby is, I think, the opener. And that is it. But I mean, here's that, my note. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. Here's my note. So I, I had a really hard time finding anything for this. The story for all of my resources in them some was mostly the same. They kind of popped up out of nowhere, did a big festival, and got spotted by two really big names. And things just kind of took off from there for their group. Like, they were at the right place at the right time. Jackson Brown gave them a studio. And then they had the demo. Boom. And it just it just happened. Yeah. And Bowie, it, it really helped that Bowie, right around that same time, also saw him was like, hey, play on this record. And that helped. So they already had two big connections because of one festival that yes. they played at, that which they, they, weren't, they weren't signed before that. So especially because it's not a style that's popular. Right. Every resource I found then talked about Vaughn's substance abuse and sub- subsequent rehab stint, followed by his death in a helicopter crash at the age of 35. Let's say it wasn't a helicopter. What? Okay, hold on. That would have been I think it was 90s. It was. Yes. 93. And it was with like after a show he did with Clapton and his group and um, and then, I mean, they did talk about one of his last albums was with his brother, and it talked a little bit about their legacy, how, or not, not necessarily legacy, but, like, they grew up together, learning guitar together, playing together, and then they finally, like, they were able to do this album together, and he died shortly after, so it... it it's not the same thing, but it's kind of like a Skinner, where you have this, this family, and then you, you put out a little bit of music, and then there's this airplane crash right right so i wish i could find more related to this specifically but just about everything noted that this just did well but i couldn't find out why although i'm sure you'll go to wikipedia and tell me all about it did you see how many albums he put out wasn't very many okay but it i did come across that one like he had this was the first one i don't know how many in between but then he had the one with his brother and then one more and i i think the one with his brother came out after he had died it was released after that um so it's i don't think he had very many because i mean he was in his 20s when this happened yeah and and then he died at 35 so because i'm he died in 90 so are you ready for my sources? Or no, no, no. You have a thing. No, to add I have. A, I have a couple things to add. Yes. So, Pride and Joy, the first place that I heard it was actually on Guitar Hero Three, because that that was part of that set list, and um, then you have Rock Band did all they would release, they had their main games, and then they would release new songs every week. It was a couple years after they released this entire album to play on Rock Band. So the the yes. big one that I remember off of that, it was Rude Mood. So those were really the only two I knew going into it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Love Struck Baby. Yes. And before 
we had, I mean, not, not even before we pushed record, it was a while ago, you had told me that that's what you were going to bring up. And I didn't, I told you that, you know, it, it didn't really have anything to do with this CD and the history behind it, which is what we focus on. But I, I also do talk about rock band a little bit in my review. So, um, he had six albums. Six Apparently. albums. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think it was very many. And there, there is one after his death. Right. Do you have anything else you'd like to add before I do my sources? No. Okay. So thank you to Stevie Ray Vaughan, Texas Flood, no author, no date on Last.fm. Thank you to Stevie Ray Vaughan, Texas Flood, no author, no date on Alligator.com. All right. Thank you to Stevie Ray Vaughan, The Making of Texas Flood by Jamie Hailstone, published May third, twenty twenty, on Loudersound.com. Thank you to Texas Flood is a soulful portrait of Stevie Ray Vaughan by Carl Richter, published August 8th, 2019 on TexasObserver.org. Thank you to How Stevie Ray Vaughan Spared a Blues Revolution. I think it's Sparred. Spurred? (laughs) Spurred, Sparred, A Blues Revolution with Texas Flood by Nick DiRizzo. DiRizzo, sorry. Published June 13th, 2018 on UltimateClassicRock.com. Thank you to Album Review, Texas Flood by Stevie Ray Ray Vaughn. No author, no date on iloveclassicrock.com. Thank you to Stevie Ray Vaughn and Double Trouble's Texas Flood, Out of the Gate by Mark Levitin. No date on bestclassicvans.com. Thank you to Stevie Ray Vaughn and Double Trouble, Texas Flood, Album of the Week Club Review by Classic Rock Staff on October 28th, 2019 on loudersound.com. And thank you to Where Did Time Go? It still still feels like 1983, published by, by Andy Langer on January 26, 2013 on NewYorkTimes.com. And it's before you do whatever it is you're going to say. Okay. I, even though I have a hard time finding stuff, I mean, you can see how many resources I use. And that's stuff i'm actually using from that's not even all of them that i i read on the depths of the ooze depths of the ooze yes so it's i'm trying to find even if it's one bit of information i'm using you know i'm i'm citing that source but it's still i don't find much so yeah at least not on this one right okay what were you gonna say no then i was just gonna say hey do you want to stop because you're tripping up over your words so is that your cue you want to give me your review well, I don't really want to talk, but I don't think we should hear. I I think you should get a little bit of a break so you know how to how to speak English again. Oh, thanks. Okay. Yep. So, like I said, I was familiar with Pride and Joy and Rude Mood before this, so I kind of had an idea of what to expect from the album, and then I knew he died young, so I knew there wasn't that much of a body of work, so I knew that. You know, this is, it's all condensed into just a couple packages. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. So, those two I kept. You know, I had, I don't really remember doing Pride and Joy on Guitar Hero, but I remember playing Rude Mood on Rock Band and absolutely hating every second of it. Just because of the way that that song it progresses. But it was it was a fun kind of hating it. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, those two I'm keeping. Nothing else really stands out. I do understand the generic 
voice comment because this to me sounds like if you're at a if you're at a bar with live music you know this this and it, it's more like one or two people like kind of like a little house band kind of thing i can see this being played mm-hmm. you know what i mean it doesn't it guitar might be a little bit difficult for the average house band performer yeah but that's still it it'd be more I, I don't i think that's where blues lives now you know what i mean like i remember there was a pizza place that we would go to that would have mu- music every once in a while and it was more of a blues style and it was just one guy so it's yeah, that's where it lives so released today i don't think it succeeds i don't well i don't know because released at the time it was i didn't think it would succeed either right but I am interested in hearing the rest of it. And like I said, there's not much to that catalog. But I do like the... It's kind of like a Santana. Like, I like the sound of it. I don't know if I like everything that they put out. But I, I like that sound. Mm-hmm. I like that guitar work. Yeah. Because probably... I know we, I know I mentioned it in Santana 1. I like X number of like living guitarists, I would assume that he would be in the top 50, I I would imagine. And now you have all these different styles, but still just of what he was able to do. Take take a dead genre and just kind of revive it a little bit just by himself. Yeah. So. And that's impressive. Yeah. it's It'd be like... Releasing a jazz album today and and blowing up is like, what did you do? How did you do this? Right. And I really struggled to find out that it just, and I guess it's hard to say why it sold, why anything sold so well. It's just people liked it. That there you go. But it's, why? Yeah. Especially with everything else going on around it. Like you were talking about all the albums that were coming out and what it would have been up against. So probably like a b plus and i'm i'm intrigued as to the rest of the stuff i guess yeah that's fair i mean not really much to say i i do agree with the generic sound there are a couple there was another one it was towards the back half of the album and i it sounded uh not necessarily vocal wise but guitar wise it sounded a lot like pride and joy Mm, yes so that yes. that was a knock against it for me it's like i i understand that with blues i guess it's it's more of a same it's, it without really diving into the history of it without me playing it it seems like there's a very i guess limited range of scales that are traditionally used in blues yeah. whereas you put in like a thrasher or something like that you have more freedom to work with mm-hmm. because you, you're not set to this what is it the 12 bars i don't know that's that's just your meter though that's not the notes right that's not your scales yeah i don't know it's been so long since i've done anything like musically but yeah i think if you if, but your traditional blues is like it's it's got a aaba format and which most songs have an aaba format which means it's your verse, verse, chorus, or verse, verse, bridge, verse, 
But with blues, that AABA format is in the verse. They, they say the line and then they repeat the line and then you do a different line and then you go back to the first line. And, or something like that. I don't, I'm getting, I, I don't, stuff. I don't want to use the word simple to like come off as an insult, but it, it's more of a simplified music style. I would, I, the way that I'm understanding it. You know, it's mm-hmm. you have a you have a very limited scale. You have a very limited amount of lines that you use for lyrics. So to see, it's not a but shock. That's also in your very limited experience with blues. Yes, but it's it's not a shock that you have blues pieces on the same album that sound very similar in terms of chord progressions. Mm-hmm. So that that's I guess my big knock against it is it's it's there are pieces where it's like a it it's like eight tracks instead of ten, yeah. you know. And I'm wondering on that final album if there's more so if I can hear Texas Flood again, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I and I get that that's a very limited sample size, right? Blues for me, but yeah. it's. It's it's a criticism for me just because I don't have the wide range yet of blues. Yeah. So that was a long-winded way of saying, give me your review. So my turn? Yep. Okay. So I remember my first experience with Stevie Ray Vaughan was on Rock Band or Guitar Hero. And I remember having so much fun trying to play some of these songs. Texas Flood was my favorite. It would probably have been Rock Band then if you were... If you were trying to play Texas Flood. I really liked some of these songs that I I already had a few in my library. However, this was my first full listen to the album. And side note, I already have The Sky is Crying on my phone. I don't know what album that's from offhand. Um, And before this album, before like doing this research, I legitimately thought it was an 80-year-old man singing. Like, (laughs) I didn't, I was shocked to find out he was that young. It is in his 20s. It just didn't, my brain did not compute. Um, so I really did like the bluesy guitar throughout. It was a really good album. I'm not keeping everything though. I, I really did enjoy listening, especially to the guitar. But as a whole, it's not something I'm going to come back to again and again. I did think the outro Lenny was very beautiful, but I'm, I'm not keeping it. Um, I did have to triple check that I didn't accidentally start over. Because like you said, I'm crying. That's the one that was literally Pride and Joy with just different words. Um, it, it it sounded so similar. I really thought I had sh- had hit shuffle and repeat and Pride and Joy was playing again. Like it was the same key and everything. So I felt a little cheated by that. But now that you know the story behind them and this, does it make a little more sense? Like it was just a thrown together demo. Like the one song was Mary Friggin' Had a Little Lamb. Yeah. So it's just, it was stuff they were already playing and it wasn't really anything new for this but it revived the genre so that's why it's on this list um but i'm keeping pride and joy and texas flood which were already on my phone but i gave it a b plus what'd you think of rude mood Eh, wasn't really impressed but i mean the guitar playing was great yeah but i out of all the 
out of all the veins under the category of jazz, blues, I think, is my least favorite. It's just because it's just a lot of repetitive stuff. Yeah, that kind of was what I was saying. Yeah, but... And it, it, it's, it sounds It makes good. more sense coming from you because you actually have background, kind of. <laughs> it's It sounds good, but I think, for me, it sounds good in pieces and not as one lump sum. That's my thought. So, um, I'm not even going to bother with asking if you have a final thought. So Why'd you bring it up, then? Sum it up. Overall, Vaughn, he was a very talented guitarist, and these songs were really good. After reading the story behind this, I can see why it sold so well. It revived the blues genre, and the way it happened was really interesting. They just popped up out of nowhere. Um, While I like blues, I'm not a blues enthusiast or a purist. I enjoy it on occasion, and I do like certain songs again and again, but it's not something I can come back to on my own. These are... they're, They're just... Things in general I like better. I, I would probably listen to those two with some relative consistency. Like maybe once a week or so. Yeah, but you're not going to put this album on once a week. No, but I might kind of dig through and make a little playlist out of his stuff. Like if I have like an album's worth of stuff from him. Mm-hmm. Which... I'm going to classify as a release of his. Yeah. So, here's Spleens again on the scratch pad. Hello, kitty. Um, do you have any recommendations? I had one, but I lost it. So, I'm going to recommend um, ways to help your short-term memory. Figure that out, and then let me know. You're seriously not going to recommend Velocipaster? No, I just figured you were going to. No, no, I don't think anybody should watch that movie. I mean... Well, since you brought it up. It had its moments. The dialogue was, like, so bad. My favorite part... One of, one of my favorite parts was right at the beginning. Instead of... Because it was obvious, very low budget. They just wrote a text on the screen that said, VFX, car, car on fire. I died. I died, and in a later scene, somebody blew up, and there, there's nothing, I don't think there's anything we can do for her. Like, oh my god. The dialogue was just so bad, but it just That's came out of That's what parents do, nowhere. they die on you. Oh my god. Don't, don't pay to watch that movie. I mean, we didn't, thank god, but don't, don't. So, uh, let's get into birthdays. Yeah, Okay. You know if you had anything else to get into before we started with that because I needed a minute to <laughs> pull up the page. No. Okay. So June second, correct? Yes. Okay. Now I'm gonna preface this by saying I don't recognize a lot of these birthdays, so I don't know if you will. Okay. Okay. Otis Williams, singer from American doo wop vocal group The Charms who had the 1956 U.S. number 11 single, Ivory Tower. Um, 24. 36. Goddamn. American singer-songwriter Jimmy Jones, who had the 1960 U.K. number 1 and U.S. number 3 single, Good Timin' and the hit Handyman. 38. 37. Goddamn. 
American songwriter Janie Bradford, most known for her tenure with Motown. Apparently, with Barry Gordy, she co-wrote Money, That's What I Want, originally recorded by Barrett Strong, and then by the Beatles on their second album with the Beatles. Forty-one. William Guest, singer with the Pips. Their first single was a version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine in 1967. With Gladys Knight, had the 1973 U.S. number one single Midnight, Tra- Midnight Train to Georgia. And the 1975 U.K. number four single with Gladys, The Way We Were. 41. 41. Yay! Charlie Watts, English drummer who joined the Rolling Stones in 1963 and had the UK, 1965 UK and US number one single, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. 45. 41. Damn it. Here's, okay, here's one I do know, kind of. Marvin Hamlish, pianist, composer, 1974 U.S. number one album, The Sting. I think he did the soundtrack. U.S. number three single, The Entertainer. Oh. Co-wrote Nobody Does It Better for The Spy Who Loved Me with his then-girlfriend. Hmm. 45. 44. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I'm going to say this last name right. Chubby Tavares. T-A-V-A-R-E-S. From American R&B, funk, and soul group... Tavares, who had the 1976 UK number four and US number 15 single, Heaven Must Be Missing an Angel. 49. 50. <laughs> I'm usually pretty close. Michael Steele, American bassist, guitarist, songwriter, who began her professional career as Mickey Steele in the teen girl band The Runaways. And then went to the Bangles. 54. 59. American songwriter, musician, and guitarist Jason Faulkner, who was a member of the bands Jellyfish, The Three O'Clock, and The Greys. It's an interesting list of bands. Yes, this is birthdays. This is audience participation. 50. I'm thinking. Sometimes it takes me a while to think and process. I thought I smelled something burning. Dick. 53. Well, the last one was 59, so I'll give you a chance to redo your guest. Oh, my bad. 63. 68. <laughs> and we'll just call it. We're yeah. Having, yeah, we're not doing so well on this one. Okay. Okay, this, this is interesting. June 2nd, 1957. Johnny Ray was at number one on the UK Singles chart with Yes Tonight Josephine, the U.S. singer's third and final U.K. number one. Ray became deaf in his right ear at age 13 after an accident during a Boy Scout blanket toss. Variation of the trampoline. Say that again? Became deaf in his right ear at age 13 after an accident during a Boy Scout blanket toss. Variation of the trampoline. Mm. June 2nd, 1962. Ray Charles started a five-week run at number one on the U.S. Singles Chart. Do you have any idea what the song would have been? With the, it was written by Don Gibson. Mm-mm. I can't stop loving you. Oh, okay. 
See, this is, this is what I was talking about earlier with Stevie Ray Vaughan. The Rolling Stones played in 1963. The Rolling Stones played two gigs in one day. The first at Studio 51 in Soho, London. Stones played a regular Sunday afternoon gig at the club from 4 until 6.30 and were billed as Rhythm and Blues with the Rolling Stones. That evening, they appeared at the Crawdaddy Club in Richmond. So, like, why don't, why can't you do, now granted, it's the same band, but still, two shows in one day. Here's one for you. Yeah. 1966. Okay. Frank Sinatra was at number one on the UK singles chart with Strangers in the Night, the singer's second UK number one. Okay. The song was originally composed as Broken Guitar and later under the title Betty Bye as part of the instrumental score for the movie A Man Could Get Killed. I wonder what happens in that movie. Betty, Betty lived. <laughs> John dies at the end. Yeah. 1972. Pink Floyd released Obscured by Clouds in the UK. The album, which was recorded in Paris in less than two weeks, peaked at number six on the UK chart and number 46 on the US chart. And I don't think that caught any attention. I don't remember anything off of that one. I don't think that was a really big deal. 1976. Wings set a new world record when they performed in front of how many fans in Seattle? Oh the, my god, we've talked about this numerous the times. The largest attendance for an indoor crowd. 67,100. 1984. Wham! had their first UK number one with... Written and produced by George Michael, one half the duo. Inspiration for the song was a scribbled note left by his partner, Andrew Ridgely, for Andrew's parents. A, mm. What? What? I think we did this one. Like, remember very early on in the podcast where we were doing the This Day in History, but it was on the day we recorded because we recorded so many episodes so early and we didn't know when we were publishing them. And then we we changed it up. I think we did this one already because everything you're saying now sounds familiar. That you should be able to guess all the the birthdays and all that. Mm. Okay. In 1989, Rolling Stone, Bill Wyman secretly married 19-year-old Mandy Smith. Did you, do you remember this? Kinda. Wyman's son was the best man. His wife is now, his now wife is 19. His son is 28. Yeah. He was, I believe, 53 at the time. 53 or 56. She, hey, it was legal. She was of legal age yeah. and could give consent. I think I do remember you bringing this one up. 2005, Franz Ferdinand's frontman was detained by Russian yep. police after being suspected yep. of being a spy. Okay, we've done this day. We need to stop. <laughs> okay. Day over. Day over. It's nighttime now. So uh, that's what happens when the day's over. Yeah. Thank you for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Worst Pod on Mars and Facebook at Worst Podcast on Mars. Send Podcast. Worst Podcast on Mars. Send us an email, worstpodonmars at gmail.com. Um, I know who has the worst pod. Sebulba. That's a Star Wars joke. Oh, fuck me. <sighs> Leave us a rating. 
I don't blame you if you do one star for after that. Um, leave us a review, and if you leave us a review, I'll read it on air. Um, come back on Tuesdays when we do these little mini episodes where I give you just a teeny tiny bit of history, and we, and then we go into our little reviews part of it. Um, you can send us a suggestion, and we'll totally do it. Um, I think that's everything. I'm tired of looking at you. Come back next week when we talk Anita Baker's Rapture. Bye-bye.